and he is still to this day extremely grateful and you know I think that that goes back to the core of why I do what I do I'm a recruiter because I love talking to people meeting people but I love helping people the most recruitmentary empowering your employment relate to the candidate with our guest Bree Plibus this podcast episode that you're about to hear was originally recorded September 10th 2018. It was among a dozen or so episodes lost during a data failure at that time. This episode has been re-edited, but may reflect situations or references that are off date-wise. All right, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to the next episode of our great and amazing Recruitmentary podcast. We have yet another great guest with us today. Our topic believe it or not, is going to be relating to the candidate that is going to be the job-seeking candidate. And we have the one and only Brie that I've been trying to get on for a while. This is actually her very first podcast. So Brie, welcome aboard. Thanks you for uh, stopping in here with us. Yeah, absolutely. You'll have to um, bear with me as I get out the, um, like you said, the first podcast bitters and but yeah, I'm excited. Thanks for having me on. Oh, that's okay. You know, once we get past, you know, asking you for your social, your firstborn, your blood type, you'll be good to go. No, no worries about it. All right. And just as a side note beforehand, where does that last name come from? Is it? Is it's it... really not a super difficult last name to pronounce. It's usually overthought quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. I think we did one of the uh, the background, y- you know, where you can go online and you can look at, you know, where it originated and it is Welsh. Nice. Okay. Anyway, now you've lived in Florida, I think, for most of your life or or your entire life. I I don't remember exactly. Is that true? Yeah. um, I was actually born and raised in Florida. Um, I was actually born in the panhandle of Florida. So I grew up um, in a small town right in between Panama City and Tallahassee. Um, I stayed there entire life, never moved. Um, Small town, I think my graduating high school class was maybe 100 people. Um, Wow. I mean, when we're talking about a small town, we're talking definitely about a small town. And I went to a community college in Panama City for about a year. After that, I I knew I wanted to work at Disney. You know, the typical Orlando dream. Right. Uh, did the Disney College program in 2014, and I never left Orlando. I'm still here, and I plan to be here for a little while longer, for sure. Awesome. You've made your way to Orlando, the beautiful aspect of where I think most people do try to find their, their Disney experiences, but recruiting of all things. How did, how did that come about? You know, it kind of found me, I would say. I was a communications major in college. You, know, you take all kinds of classes. You really start learning about different types of communications, some that you didn't even think existed, rather. Um, what I learned in those classes, not only did I love talking to people, I love talking to business owners, I loved the sales aspect of communication, but I loved being able to help And recruiting is really all those things combined. I get the opportunity every day to have really awesome opportunities come across my desk. And I can reach out to people, whether it's on job boards or on LinkedIn or people I have met in person. You know, Tech and Beer is a networking event we go to. And, you know, if I meet someone there, I have the opportunity to reach out and potentially, you know, change their life. And that's really what I think the good recruiters are there for, you know, in in, in that space. There's unfortunately as we go through this series and a lot of people I've personally dealt with, I, well, I can say, you know, it's just been problems uh, with the, you know, but it's going to be that way with, with everybody in every industry, you know, candidate wise. I mean, 
who's crossed your path in the past couple of years or just during your recruiting uh, timeline, if you will, who's really impressed you, you know, during an interview, during a meeting, or who's really stood out to you uh, during the recruiting opportunities you've had? Yeah, and it, it's a great question because I talk to, I don't even know how many people daily um, weekly, monthly, and the people that always stand out are the people that even after I place them or, you know, I don't have a position for them. They're the people that I still reach out to for conversation purposes. I have one candidate, she was for sales. I did not have anything for her, but she was just a phenomenal human being. She was someone I almost saw as a mentor for myself, <laughs> not even in the professional life. She came in, she was super personable. We talked about her kids. Um, one of her kids actually has autism or is on the spectrum. That is something that hit home with me. Um, I am extremely big in Autism Speaks here in the local community. And it's something that I've participated in the past three or four years and fundraised for. So it's something that she and I found and we connected on um, away from jobs. So those are the people that connect with me and speak to me. And those are the people that I'm super pumped about helping are just the people who see me as a person and not an annoying recruiter. You know what I mean? Right. That's the first thing I think that is really critical in the recruiting space is building that foundation of trust, you know, getting to know the candidates, but also letting people know, hey, you are outgoing, but you're also receiving. You're also listening. You're also communicative. You're also attentive. Absolutely. What you say really holds water. It reminds me, I actually have an aunt who, uh, or aunt, excuse me, I have an aunt. Um, who, an auntie. They're an auntie. She, uh, I have a cousin who, um, when she was born, she had Down syndrome. And it really changed my, my aunt's life because... Um, she became a very, it's just like when I had, I have celiac and you have to be very specific with learning the diets, learning what and what, uh, what is in your foods and what isn't. And she became a very, very powerful advocate for people with special needs. And, um, you know, ironically enough, you deal with my cousin and, uh, the aspect when you deal with people sometimes with special needs is they, uh, they adapt, uh, mannerisms, they copy mannerisms that, you would see other people do. So they're actually mimicking personality rather than having their, you know, coping with their own situations and developing your own personality. Well, Val uh, is my cousin's name. And, you know, you you talk with her, you deal with her, and she's just like any, you know, moody teenager. I think she's probably in her 20s now, but, you know, she's putting on the makeup. She graduated high school. She had a job uh, at a grocery store. Really sweet kid, though. You just need more people to focus in on aspects like that personally and also professionally to make things happen. So not to sidestep, but I, I really appreciate anybody who does go out of their way, you know, to, to make a difference in those aspects of, of... Yeah, I do too. It's definitely um, something that gets looked past quite often, I've learned. Well, I mean, when we talk about the career experience in general, how many times when you were growing up in school did people really say, hey, listen, you got to invest in your career you got to go take this class or this certification or something like that. You don't know what's going on until college. And even then, you're trying to figure out who you are, what you want to do. And that may even be all fine, well, and dandy. You may have that all figured out. But the job market, the job climate might be something completely different. I know when I was graduating high school, everybody wanted to be a psychologist. <laughs> and by the time I was graduating, the entire market was oversaturated with psychology. Nobody could do it. And then following after that was designers. Uh, you know, and you, just, you have to be really, really careful about those types of things but so you guys bonded you ended up in Orlando and then Blue Wave of all places how did how did that happen 
I actually found Blue Wave. Um, I have a friend, co-worker now, um, who was with Blue Wave, and I kept seeing on her LinkedIn and on Blue Wave's LinkedIn and on their Facebook and every form of social media, Blue Wave just kept appearing. I just couldn't escape from it. <laughs> and honestly, at the time, I was just, I was not in a, a good work environment. It was, I don't want to sound dramatic and say it was a toxic work environment, but it was an environment where I wasn't sure when I left if I would be in tears or, you know, feeling like I did everything right. It, it just wasn't a good environment. There was no work-life balance with that. On her hand, she had the exact opposite experience with Blue Wave. She loved going to work. I met her at a networking event or met up with her and she pretty much told me, you know, work should be your place to escape your personal life problems. And I'm like, what in the world? What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> what are you, what are you talking about? I took her advice and she said, reach out to Charlie. He's the owner of Blue Wave. No matter what you're going through, whether you want to work at Blue Wave or not, He's extremely resourceful. He knows his stuff and he can be a great person to rebound ideas off of. I really didn't know if I was brave enough at the time to make a career change. You know, I was just out of college and I was really trying to make sure I was that independent adult, very stable. So I met with Charlie and I loved it. The environment at Blue Wave was, I think, what people dream of having, to be honest. And as corny as that sounds, I mean, when you walk into our office, you've got people smiling, you got people checking on you, you have people offering you water, you have a ping pong table, and you have the beautiful views of Orlando. I mean, it's such a positive place to come work. The second I stepped in for the interview, I was like, Nope, I'm going back. And that's been, how long have you been with Blue Wave now? Going on three months. So not too long. So still, you know, settling in and getting used to everything, but still loving it. Nice. Now, how long has Blue Wave been? I mean, they, they've been in Orlando at the very least for, for quite a while now, correct? Yep. Been around for um, several years, um, Charlie and Joe, they actually started Blue Wave. They're the owners and they're still right here in the office. We have a team of about 12. Um, we have about three different verticals that we try to stay in. We try to do sales, marketing, and all things technology. It's really cool what they do or what we do rather. We partner with a lot of post-series A, post-series B um, high growth companies. And what we do with these companies is we, we don't just place candidates, we build their team. So we try to strategically choose the companies we work for. We never really want to put a candidate somewhere we wouldn't want to work. Um, so it goes back to our own company values. We, we value culture and we value positivity and we value growth. And that's really what we do with the companies that we work for. So we're here in Orlando, First Green Bank building. We also, big news, we just broke through in the Atlanta market. So, yes, yes. I was hearing about that. Now, how is yeah. that working out for you guys? Oh, it's great. I mean, it's it's a lot of change. We're still going to be here in Orlando, some expansion going on. We just want to keep going and keep growing and keep, you know, I think we have a very positive light in staffing. Um, we have a very different process that we use. We're really consultative. Before we submit a candidate, we meet you face to face. You know, we like putting a face to a name and letting our candidates do the same thing. And we want everyone involved to feel completely comfortable with us. Um, we like ex ex 
ending, can't talk, (laughs) like a, um, you know, an open line of communication. And I think on the route we're going, I think Atlanta is going to be a huge success. Well, I hope so too. I mean, when you're breaking ground like that, that's going to be the biggest headache is really, you know, starting out. It's like working out. You don't really want to work out that first time. The second time is a real drag. And then it's like, oh, grinding gears. But then once you get past it, (laughs) yeah. And then you just get past it. And all of a sudden it becomes like, you know what? I don't feel as bad doing it. You know, I actually want to do it. And if I'm not doing it, it's I miss it in my schedule. That's where it was for me. I I haven't been working out as much as I should as I've just been crazy busy myself. But it's one of those work life balances that you really require. You're working your brain, you're working your vocab, you're working your opportunities, you also have to make sure that your mental and your physical health aligns in with what your professional health is. Oh, absolutely. Sometimes that doesn't work, like you're talking about that work-life balance and people, eh, doesn't, doesn't happen. No, it doesn't. It really doesn't. And it's huge. Work-life balance. You have to have work-life balance. In order for you to go into your next day at work refreshed, you've got to be able to go home and have some downtime and watch Netflix in your pajamas or work out or eat some food. I don't know what your form of relaxing is, but you have to have your own time to yourself to just escape. I agree. I agree. Well, and even to be able to do personal advancement courses, classes, workshops, trainings, things like that. I mean, you know, you and I were networking. Uh, we actually met up at the Orlando Tech and Beer event, but I know a lot of people, A, don't have time to do it. If I'm working 60 hours a week, the last thing I'm going to want to do is come out and hang out and talk to people I don't know for, you know, uh, but I mean, you seem to be really good about that, you know, connecting with people, communicating, being just a really positive energy. What do you think is really the biggest struggle people are coming across when it comes to networking in general? I think biggest struggles in networking is overcoming that hump. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, and sometimes I know people who suffer from social anxiety and some people I just, you know, they, they want to get out there and they want to meet people, but they don't know how to start the conversation and they don't necessarily feel comfortable just going up to people and saying, Hey, what, you, what do you do? You know, and that is a really scary thing to do. But I will say, I mean, it's detrimental, rather. Um, you ha- you have to network in, in today's world. Um, I think the biggest thing is maybe find a friend. I know, uh, Michael, you came out to Tech and Beer and immediately found me. And from there, I was able to kind of introduce you to a few people. And we had really interesting, stimulating conversations. And I think once you overcome the hump, and you talk with one person, you are much more motivated to find the next person and just keep building on that connection. But you have to put yourself out there first. And another thing I find personally helpful when I've been out is going to group. Yeah. It seems like when you have a good conversation going, people want to jump in. I think I remember when you and I were talking and uh, the design guy, the the inside joke there, ladies and gentlemen, is that is what uh, Bree has introduced her boyfriend to me. He's and a design and guy. People He's a photographer. He was the design guy. Graphic designer. <laughs> so, so hashtag the design guy if he's listening. Um, I believe his name is Michael as well. Yes. But uh, I had a th- that was just it was so hilarious to to hear that. And it's funny because I didn't even catch myself. I'm like I'm at a networking event, so I'm like this is my boyfriend. I'm like this is Mike. Yeah. He's a designer. He's, he's my design guy. I'm like ooh, I've been a design <laughs> guy before. How's it going, brother? My name is Michael. You're the boyfriend. Okay, nice to meet you. 
but uh, but uh, no, he's, he was a good guy. We talked. Um, he was actually a fellow designer and a photographer, so we had a lot in common. And and I actually connected with probably a half a dozen people easily there. I know I, I crossed paths with Kevin, um, shook his hand while we were there, and he reached out to me on LinkedIn afterwards. But mm-hmm. the the conversations, you know, they built uh, when I was walking around by myself. It's a very crowded event. There are a lot of people showing up, a lot of noise, a lot of activity and opportunity. But once we started talking, I think Corinne was there as well. A couple of other people we hadn't spoken to they kind of turned around and started introducing themselves they came to the table mm-hmm. conversation started up so i mean i definitely would recommend going in a group to the event if you have a couple of friends that way if things kind of go quiet you can turn around and you know hey did you talk to so-and-so or what did you find yeah, out exactly or, you know. exactly when conversation gets forced time to introduce someone else into the conversation and they can bring something new to the conversation. Or even even if conversation is too long, I love having good conversations with people, but I feel like if it goes for more than, I think normally 10 minutes, but tops 15, I, I try to cut myself off and move on to somebody else because I, I value people's time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes these financial guys or, you know, these sales guys, they have a lot of conversation because they're trying to sell you something. I'm not really interested, you know, if it's something not genuine really there. Mm-hmm. And then you know, sometimes there's guys that are just there to drink the beer. I'm not a beer guy. They are. Hey, cool, but not really, not really interested, you know, but hey, you know, nice meeting you. Yeah. So getting together as a group, going out as a group, what other things would you suggest for people to try to get actively networking or to build their presence, you know, in in the networking aspects of things? So I actively follow Kyle Elliott. I don't know if you follow him on LinkedIn. He's a career coach. Oh, the caffeinated Kyle Elliott. Who doesn't? I am a huge fan. So I definitely always read his posts and he has really great advice. And I actually took his advice when I was in the job market myself, not just with Blue Wave, but so basically he pretty much says, you know, your first step is you want to really look for people in your ideal position. Oh, you want to work as a project manager at Disney? Okay. Why don't you follow people that are project managers at Disney? Second step is invite them to coffee or get to know others. Um, I had a great conversation last week with Matt Queen from Hilton. And, you know, I was really fascinated in what he was doing. He is actually the, um, over the business development and innovation side of Hilton, all of Hilton. And I thought it was phenomenal. So I was like, hey, can I pick your brain? Can we, can we get together for coffee? And so we did. And we got together for coffee at Panera and we had the opportunity to talk for like an hour and it was professional based, but, you know, we talked about pretty much everything. And now I feel like I can regularly go to him as a, you know, I don't want to say a resource, but almost like a friend rather. So, and that was Kyle's third um, step is, you know, follow up regularly. You don't want to show up. It's kind of like a date. You don't want to go on a date, have a great date, and then you don't talk to them again. No, you you follow up with them. I mean, relationships are relationships. So in networking, it's really just about connecting with someone and finding some common ground to build that relationship on. Well, it makes sense. And again, coming from Kyle, there's a lot of things I follow. Believe it or not, he was actually a previous guest on the podcast. We did an episode, uh, I Am The Right Candidate, and really just focusing in on letting people know, hey, I'm awesome. This is what I'm about. This is how I can help your company. And really just the airing grace of making that happen, not just saying it, but actually producing results. Pretty good episode for anybody who hasn't had a chance to listen to it, but uh, follow along with Kyle if you haven't uh, already. Him and there's quite a few interesting folk on LinkedIn really making not not necessarily just noise, but a lot of change, which I think we really need. It's just aspects like this and guests like yourself that 
really make this all, you know, worthwhile, worth it, and hopefully change for the best. Hopefully helpful. So usually I like to, you know, wrap up with uh, everybody's got horror stories. So uh, some sort of candidate horror story. Um, it can either be you as a candidate, preferably more something you've experienced as a recruiter, and then uh, ending it on a good note with a awesome uh, placement story, you know, after that. So two different stories if you have them. Oh, no, you've really put me on the spot here. <laughs> nice. Candidate horror stories. Um there was a situation where this sounds like a, this, this is something to be warned. This sounds like a political briefing. Uh, excuse me, pardon me. We've had a situation. <laughs> it, it's not. We've had a situation. It. it, it um, <laughs> I have a situation. A situation um, here, code red. <laughs> I will be honest. I have not had a whole lot of recruiter horror stories. Um, Really? I can tell you about some others, but I really haven't. I try to really set expectations and I'm good at reading people to start. Oh, I do have one, but I don't know. It's sad. It's so sad. Well, this was like the worst thing that has ever happened to me as a recruiter. And strangely enough, I've talked to a lot of recruiters and this is a very common thing that happens. Okay. Um, obviously, this is not anything that the candidate can control. Okay. So before I say anything, this this is kind of separate from anything a candidate can control. But I can remember um, I, I reached out to some candidates on LinkedIn. It was at my prior job where I was working predominantly on some engineering roles. Mm-hmm. So I reached out to this engineer. I mean, I was working with a lot of DOD companies, so Department of Defense, where you had to have a secret clearance. So very specific jobs that were a lot harder to fill. And I remember reaching out. I got a response, you know, very promising. I was super pumped. I was like, this guy, if I can get him in here, he's got the job. Like his profile is on point. Love it. So, you know, I go through, you know, the the LinkedIn messages and say, okay, well, when when are you free for a phone call? When when can we talk? You know, he he got back with me. He said, okay, how about tomorrow at 9 a.m.? I don't I don't know what time it was exactly. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, all right, perfect. Wrote it on my calendar. And generally, we call the candidate. Well, the phone rang at 9 a.m. at the office. And, you know, I didn't answer. A coworker answered. And apparently it was some guy who was looking for Elena. And we did not have an Elena in the office. So, you know, we get wrong numbers all the time. It's fine. So hung up. Well, then we got another call. It was the same guy. But he was looking for Bree this time. So right off the bat, I'm like, okay, so he's working with multiple recruiters and he got us mixed up. That's a little awkward. That is something that a candidate can control. Make sure you know who you're talking to. Anyway, I get on the phone and I'm like, hey. And all of a sudden I had this really strange conversation. I don't really get anything back on the phone. So the call ends. I call back the number. It's a woman crying. And I'm I'm over here like, hi, ma'am. Um, I'm sorry. I'm looking for nobody. And she says, I'm sorry. Um, that that's my husband he got in a car accident a year ago and he has permanent brain damage and this is what he does now he reaches out to recruiters because he wants to work so badly but i always have to take the fall wow and that was without a doubt the saddest story but i really don't have horror stories 
for recruiting. Oh, no, that's a horror story right there. That's probably one of the highlight horror stories of this series right there. I mean, again, yes, there's nothing that you can do, but I mean, in a situation like that, what do you say? I mean, you want to help, but it's just like, it's like watching a car accident. You can't. And that is the hardest part. It is. It is. It literally is. So, I mean, all I could do was, uh, I, and I, you know, and I, that sounds terrible. And then I'm just, I'm, I'm basically in tears at this point because I cry at everything. Right. Right. I'm like, I am so, so, so sorry. I, you know, and then after that, I just have to end the call because nothing else I can do. Well, that is definitely a highlight horror story, but uh, what about a, so so we have a bad story. What about like an awesome placement story or some sort of awesome final note that you can leave us and the listeners on? You know, an awesome story, I think, you know, I had a candidate who was a former, not a former, was a friend of mine that I, I knew um, from years in the, you know, prior and had a really good resume, but he was struggling tremendously and um, really needed a job was really just kind of down and out. He'd been interviewing at other places and it just hadn't worked out. And he had no idea why. He had never gotten his resume looked over. He had never really gotten any feedback from, you know, recruiters on what was wrong. But I had this opportunity in my office. I was like, okay, I'm gonna call him up. I'm gonna see if he's interested. And if so, I'm gonna bring him in. I'm gonna bring him into our office, just like he's a normal candidate. I'm gonna meet with him face to face and we're gonna, go over everything he came over um to the office you know he sat down in his in his suit and tie and really sharp really professional which is huge i mean i have owners here in my office so they're definitely checking out the candidates we bring in too making sure they're sharp and um, they represent blue wave well so he looked great he came in he brought me the resume and uh, all of the unknown reasons of why he was not getting a job was right there he had so much experience he was just not highlighting uh -oh. he had awesome experience and the experience that stood out the most was the experience that was not listed. And he felt his resume should make recruiters want to call him and ask him questions and find out the information. And I said, no, honey, that doesn't work that way. No, we, we need to change this. We need to outline everything. <laughs> and, and we need to make sure that when a recruiter spends their average seven seconds on a resume, that they're seeing you know, their key points that they want to see. We probably sat in this office for an hour just mm -hmm. going through asking questions about his experience and what we could put as bullet points. He was so grateful. He went home, redid the resume. There were still things that needed to be done and changed. And he was so still grateful and willing to put in that work to make sure it was perfect. We went over interview prep. You know, at the end of it, he has a job now. Yes. And it was a job he, he really wanted. Now, it definitely took some trial and error, but any interview is practice, you know? Mm -hmm. I have had a lot of interviews and I look back and I was able to take something generally from an interview and change it and utilize it better the next way or the next time, excuse me. And he is still to this day, extremely grateful. And, you know, I think that that goes back to the core of why I do what I do. I'm a recruiter because I love talking to people, meeting people, but I love helping people the most. 
my favorite quote, and it's in my LinkedIn bio because I'm that strongly about it, is unexpected kindness is the most powerful, least costly, and most underrated agent of human change. So if you can go that extra step, be kind to someone, you know, my job description, honestly, I'm not a career coach resume writer. That's not me. I could easily go refer them to Kyle and let him, you know, work that magic. But taking the time to to help him prep for the interview and redo the resume, you know, it really just made a difference for him. And now he's happy. And that's all I can really ask for. Absolutely. I mean, it just is another testament of the type of person and willpower that you have to really help people out. And I'm sure not only does he, you know, appreciate that, but so many other unnamed candidates that you've probably done similar supports, you know, resources and services for even just being there during a very, very tough time uh, trying to find work because it is a very mentally just draining, physically just waiting, exhaustive process. So exhausting. But I, I mean, I appreciate you sharing that with us, taking your time to stop in and, and stop by. Thank you for for having uh, this podcast be your your first one that you've uh, been a part of. Hopefully many more from here. <laughs> yes, hopefully. All right. You can find Bree on LinkedIn. She's happy to connect with her. Just feel free to fill out your invitation first. Say a little blurb. Say hello. Say you heard her on the podcast. Really glad you stopped in the chat a bit and, and really appreciate your time, Bree. Thanks again. No, thanks so much for having me. Yes, ma'am.